Hey Alpha Females, welcome back. Today is going to be a very fun episode for me because I am going to be interviewing my little sister, my biological little sister, Rebecca Freeman. And we're going to learn all about her sorority background and gain some insights from what she's learned. So I am so excited to get to talk to you today, Becky. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I was about to say their full government name being used. Rebecca Freeman. Rebecca. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have five different nicknames, so I'll take whatever you give me today. Um, yeah, I'm really happy to be on your podcast. Okay, so tell me, what attracted you to sorority life? Well, I was raised in our household, as you know, yes. and it may have been a somewhat unrelatable experience to have two parents that took leadership positions or part of Greek organizations for all four years of college and then brought all of that experience to the dining room table throughout my entire childhood. Not yeah. to say it was, <laughs> it took over every conversation we had, but it would come up um, undoubtedly. So sorority life was talked about a lot in yeah. our household. Yeah, so a lot of my preconceived notions were accurate accounts, luckily, but they were also dated accounts of, yeah. of uh, Greek life and the Greek system. Um, nonetheless, I still found it really attractive to be part of an organization with multiple majors represented, multiple age groups represented. That was something that stuck out because a lot of campus organizations lack one or the other um, when they define their focus. Um, it was philanthropy based, um, but it was also self-improvement based. And all of those things seem like really attractive qualities in such a important part of life where you're defining, uh, you know, the road ahead for yourself um, to get exposed to as many people as possible, but also grounded people. So I would say I had a very positive impression of it. Mm -hmm. um, that was alongside those out of my house, out away from our dining room table impressions, which yeah. came from TV shows. It came from Instagram posts. Um, because you grew up with Instagram in high school. That's true. Yes. Instagram had hit by the time I was yeah. still in high school. And even when I was searching for colleges, I could, um, see impressions of college life for different campuses, um, virtually in the palm of my hand, which mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, a different impression than the Facebook era and the MySpace era beforehand where yeah, most wasn't of quite that the same. would take place on a desktop a right. lot of the time. Um, I mean, I went to school and I started school in 2011. So like by that point, I think it was just Facebook, but I didn't have a Facebook until I graduated. So social media was not at all as involved in my life as it was in yours. I feel like I started college in 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, Tumblr era was alive and well. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember Tumblr. Definitely a different world. Yeah. So when you were touring colleges, I mean, mom took you to a bunch of schools that had Greek life, yes. specifically our family chapter. sorority mm -hmm. uh, that I share with my mom and several other uh, family members. But um, so she had a very pointed goal with that <laughs> fair i guess it's really a chicken and the egg situation whether my desire to be a part have greek life be a part of my campus experience um or if you know it was grounded in mom's influence but 
I always knew I wanted to be part of a diverse, large campus. Yeah. And most diverse, large campuses have Greek life systems on them. I also wanted public. And for the most part, those uh, diverse, large campuses, I was looking at public schools. Um, most right. of them have Greek systems. So yeah. it was automatically a part of, you know, questions on the campus tour, mm -hmm. you know, inquiring about the health of that community and what yeah. that looked like for their campus because it manifests so differently right. across each one. So you met the sisters at these houses. What was your impression of the girls that were living in the house that probably took you on the tours and told you about their chapters? Yeah, that was, looking back, that is a oddity about my experiences. Yeah. I met sorority Like nobody women. does that. Yeah. <laughs> like I, nobody does that. That's true. <laughs> Unless um, you're a freaking, like, you're a, you know, your whole family's been Greek. <laughs> to provide more detail, I would go on campus tours um, and my mom would go off on the side and figure out an email for a president of that local chapter. Um, She'd and, write him up an email. And say, you know, I've got this great. And, you know, nothing was against the rules because I was usually a year or more out from actually becoming um, a potential new member right. in their system. So it was all in, in good faith. And I would uh, sometimes visit the chapter house of our family's sorority. Um, so just pause real quick. What Becky's referring to here is called dirty rushing, where it's basically no, like trying to poach uh, potential new members before they're even in college. Um, if it was going to happen anywhere, I mean, I'd say it happens in really competitive places. Right. Which is not what we usually experience yeah. here. Yeah. Funny it's... enough, any example of dirty rushing that happened on my campus happened so often via Instagram, given, really? believe it or not, because people would put, you know, their school in their bio yeah. the second they got admitted. Oh. And sometimes that's during their senior year of high school. Right. And so if you have some good researchers, yeah, girls would go out again, not the best of the community, right? Yeah. Because they're not going about it the right way um, and reach out over messages. Right. And, and again, if we've learned anything, about uh, legal advice, it's don't write something in a in a message or a text or an email that can be tracked back to you with Easily a timestamp. Come Jesus. on, um, yeah. Anyway, stupid. So <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. And so yeah, anything. Yeah. If you're gonna be going through formal recruitment, that is the only Contact time, with. pretty much, that you should be feeling like you're being recruited. <laughs> pretty much to prevent uh, an, an uneven playing field, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, arguably recruitment starts the first day of school um, because current sorority members will wear their letters proudly on campus and that's already advertisement for that house. Um, but I think Welcome Week or Greek Week, or maybe not, sorry, it is called Welcome Week. So they would have all the campus clubs and activities uh, basically having like a fair. We called that the Greek Expo. On oh, Expo. Campus. Okay. You yeah, had it called e Expo. Um, yeah. But um, that's pretty much, I would say, when the recruitment really would start. So anything before that is considered no, no. And I would nitpick here and say <laughs> like the advertisement doesn't begin just definition wise. Don't love the selling of a product i would say maybe it's the beginning of 
their exposure to that sorority's PR. Okay. You know, is it the girl in the letters raising her hand in class? Right. Ideally, those members aren't actively approaching just random women on campus and being like, hi, have you decided to rush? No. Um, Yeah, that's typically. Again, that's also not what happens because you just hope that people who want to do it do it on their own devices. They'll go through the system if they want to become part of it. So, yeah. Um, So, yeah, going back to your, you know, any preconceived notions that you had. Um, I really liked getting a fuller picture. I was always really appreciative that my mom went to the extra work to reach out to some of those chapters. If for no other reason, it felt like the campus tour brought me around where an average college student would attend classes, catch a a club meeting or catch some lunch with friends. Um, But when it came to where they went home at night or where they would go after class or where they would, you know, hang out with friends, that was kind of a unexplored image in my mind. Okay, so you didn't have preconceived notions of sorority women then? Um, I'm sure collectively between being a younger sister to one, yes, (laughs) I had all of your impressions. But at the same time, I would step on a new campus with for a tour and know that everything I held could be completely wrong because for this campus is going to look so different, especially being in California. I got exposed to super small colleges, big colleges, medium colleges, and with Greek communities that manifested in very different ways. Okay. So I liked learning about each campus with each opportunity. And I got to, you know, when I was on the Cal Poly, um, Cal Poly Slows campus, I got to visit there, the chapter house of our family sorority and actually get a tour and walk in and hear about, um, you know, see everything from a college dorm room type setting to where they take their trash out to how they get their mail, you know, just very practical things that really helped me explore the image of what my life would look like outside of Instagram, Pinterest, or a TV show, which were a lot of the visuals I had leading up to that. So you ended up going to San Diego State mm-hmm. and go tell me about your fall recruitment experience. What was that like for you? I went through fall recruitment, formal fall recruitment at San Diego State in 2016. And anyone who did that same thing within a few years before, a few years after me, I automatically feel bonded to. Whether or not they you know, ended up in a chapter or not. Why Because that? it was an intense process. Mm. It was an emotional process because it's basically a job interview with your personality. Right. So right. it's not. <laughs> yeah. What? Um, yeah. And in the same way that, you know, some people have, I remember someone one time described a breakup to me as someone fully gets to know your personality. Right. And then says, nope, I'm good. <laughs> And ever since I heard that, I was like, oh my God, a breakup has got to be like the worst thing. Yeah. And I'm not comparing recruitment to a breakup because it's at a lesser extent and they only get so many impressions of you. But it's a rejection, it feels like. It's, yeah, it's a rejection. When you don't get into the house. There's automatic, there's rejection for every single individual in, in the game. Yeah. Even when you're rejected from one that 
maybe you're you not maybe so excited not about. So excited. Yeah, it's it still hits. it still feels because yeah. it's like oh even you them want me? yeah you want everyone to want you yes. everyone needs to admit that going into the process right. and and come to terms with maybe maybe no one wants you and I mean that sounds like so intense but at SCSU it was a numbers game to the extent that there were not enough spots for so, the women going through it sounds like you were really nervous um going into it because you were like I don't know if I'm gonna get in there were a lot of people that took themselves out of the game okay because they would decide I want either house a or b and, and if it's else. not that then buy and right. they would leave the process super fast. So it was intimidating going through, yeah. seeing the numbers of girls dwindle each day. And it felt like, oh, it must be, a, it's a cutting game. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're getting so far down. Really, you you know, recruitment would be over a long weekend. And from like Tuesday or Thursday to Saturday, you'd have half the girls right. that started in the process. And it really felt like a last women standing kind of situation. <laughs> But with more perspective, you recognize, oh, it was just a lot of a lot of girls in the process that were in it for the, the wrong reasons. Right. You know, they weren't in it because an entire idea, entire system sounded good, entire commitment to something sounded good. It's because they wanted specific letters or they wanted um, to be in the same one as their roommate. Right. Or whatever it was that was, you know, just kind of such a small vision of the whole thing mm. um and they were taking themselves out of it so looking back i it, i remember feeling like it was i don't know survivor or something yeah. where like your team i think that's how that show runs i've actually never watched it but <laughs> numbers dwindled and right. um it felt more serious each time you'd go from going to every single house at least once to less and less right that's the same um, for everybody. And we had, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think at the time we were at about eight or nine chapters on campus. Okay. And, and large ones. Right. Uh, at SCSU, they averaged anywhere from 180 to 220, I'd say. Okay. 240. 240 women in a single house. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. My school, we could barely break 100. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean ebbs and flows obviously happen mm -hmm. um over the course of several years but yeah i mean it we struggled to maintain 80 at, at points yeah it, i mean it, but again it's different at every campus and for that same reason i remember coming home with my stories of scsu and you right. and mom just giving me these what? looks like what were you yeah. doing for how long with how many women right it was like, a different yes. animal than um, at northridge and, and long beach and for it, sure and i i say that thing about feeling bonded to any woman that went through uh formal fall recruitment because um in these in this mass event um, and it's a lot of coordination behind the scenes that you're not privy to. You yeah. just see kind of mobs of women up and down Montezuma Road. That's our main drag of all the Greek um, houses. You know, in their rompers and their wedges because it's 2016 <laughs> yeah. and we're all wearing rompers. Remember that? <laughs> all rompers all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was going more like, I remember looking back being so embarrassed because I was wearing like slacks. Yeah, no, and, I did the same thing. <laughs> and treating it more job interview -esque. Right. 
And some people were like, I just really care about if looking cute. If you, well, right. And even in conversation based, you know, some of the uh, people just wanted to receive a personality. Right. They didn't really care about your resume, so to speak. And sometimes I think you and me being more serious. Yeah. No, I <laughs> dressed very seriously. Leaned into that. <laughs> I did not dress like cute. I dressed like a job interview. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm telling you people out there, um, definitely dress your personality. You don't have to dress like it's a job interview, Yeah, but also don't dress like you're going to the club. It's not split the two (laughs) Go somewhere in the middle. (laughs) I'd say there's a fair amount of, of resources out there to advise, you know, dressing decisions at this point. Yeah. And Greek 101 will typically tell you like, this is what we're seeing you know, PNMs wearing these days. This yeah. is what we'd recommend. Yeah. So tell me about what happened during recruitment. What was the what happened outcome? to you? No. Um, <laughs> looking back, there was heartbreak in you know not receiving an invitation back, and then there was also um, almost a little bit of guilt or you know, self-reflection when I'd get an invitation and, and not want it um, go. Yeah. Or, or I would always go because that was the That's advice yeah. of, of my uh, recruitment guide or rogue gamma for short. Right. Um, and so I always went because you, you, that's how you get the full experience. Mm-hmm. And I always was so grateful I did. Um, but I didn't so... accept every invitation I, I got. And, really? Okay. Um, and I ended up, with my sorority, which was actually a long-standing sorority on the SDSU campus, but had been off campus for the five years prior to my freshman year. And it was a chapter being reinstalled. So there were some things that were very long-standing about it. We had a huge amount of alumni. We had a chapter house with our letters on it ready to go. Things that a new chapter don't get to benefit from. Right. Uh, we had strong national ties with uh, national advisors right there, ready to shake your hand and talk about the sorority in depth. Um, so but we didn't have an existing class to recruit us. So I was the alpha me- class. I was an alpha class member, meaning that I was the first initiation class of my sorority on the campus after that reinstallation. So let's connect the dots a little bit yeah so you went through formal recruitment mm-hmm. how did you jump from so did you get a bid to your house yes because of formal recruitment oh that's a great question no okay because how did you get it? my sorority was not allowed to participate in formal fall recruitment as a colony if you will as a they didn't have existing members from scsu correct so they weren't allowed to extend bids to membership during formal fall recruitment 2016 but they did present to every member they did present to every participant of formal fall recruitment as an option you could become an alpha class member and if this process doesn't pan out for you or you don't want to join any of the houses that you see here in this formal re- process, know that we're an option. 
So then when you went through, so you I, decided none of these houses are for me and it was a mutual decision. You know, yeah. you didn't put in, I like this house and whatever. I went through the full process. Right. I went all the way to preference night. I think, I, yeah, I only had one house left mm -hmm. on my preference night. I went, I still attended even though I wasn't sure where I wanted to join. You were not excited about it. So grateful I did because I feel like I, you know, overturned every rock mm -hmm. and looked under. Um, and I got to be a part of their preference night and still have so much love for that chapter and got to know so many more members in all the four years that happened after that right. night. Um, and after that night still felt the same way. It wasn't, it wasn't a mutual fit. It wasn't mine. Okay. Uh, it wasn't going to be what I was so, you know, identified with. Cause you, because I want to delve into the details because your situation is so <laughs> unique. Yeah. So like when you decided I don't like this house that I went to preference night for, what were the steps to let your Rogamas know, like, I want to try this. the house that's coming back yeah. and is open? Yeah. Um, how did you get from there to there? Yeah. So my chapter was represented by only two national representatives. They were both in their 20s, I'd say. One was from Maryland. One was from Illinois. They were well-dressed and well-spoken. And um, very happy to talk to you about, um, the colonizing sorority. Yeah. Um, and they gave this presentation to all, uh, formal participants. So it was something on my mind as right. an option and having come with no particular ties because my family sorority wasn't at SCSU. I always kept, you know, what ended up being my chapter in mind throughout the whole process. Right. And as I got to that last night preference night and didn't feel that connection, I signed something odd that, again, you do not need to know about except for this one particular circumstance in your life if it happens. And it's a document called a Misteraba. Okay. And it was basically that I had gone through the process mm -hmm. and I will not be accepting any bids to membership. Okay. In the, at the end of this process at all. Okay. So they would guarantee you a spot in one of the sorority houses. That was kind of an agreement that the coordinators had with all women going through. The trouble was, and the numbers would dwindle so much is because most of the women going through didn't want a spot in any chapter. Okay. And I understand that because you want one you identify with. And so I basically did what I saw a lot of women do on day two. And after going through the whole process, took myself out as an option. Right. Because I didn't want to waste that sorority's time and have them spend a bid to membership because you only get extended a certain amount. Okay. I didn't want them to spend it on me knowing right. I wasn't going to accept it. Right. So I took myself out of the process. They were given the same number of bids and were able to extend them to other girls who might ex have accepted them. Right. And so I was out of the process. And then... I think it was in October. So this formal process really happened like late August, September. Right. Yeah. And uh, my sorority's recruitment process started with a round of interviews, very similar to the formal fall process, but without being combined and placed right next to interviews with other chapters. Mm -hmm. So it was a very singular experience in that regard. And I was interviewed by alumni, but I was also interviewed by chapter members of local chapters who were really? lucky enough in san diego 
there's a lot of other universities. There's University of California, UC San Diego. There is um, University of San Diego, private, a bit smaller. There's Point Loma, and then there's San Diego State. And those are the four big boys. That... Are those the four? So you're saying your sorority has a chapter on every one of those campuses? Except for Point Loma that I wow. mentioned. Um, the oh my gosh. University of San Diego and then yeah. UC San Diego, we both had chapters on that were already doing so well. So you interviewed with those women from those chapters. Interesting. Yeah, those women were okay. uh, generous enough with their time to trek over to- I did that for <laughs> when we um, installed our my sorority on the uc san diego campus i was a recruiter of the potential new members on that campus to become part of mm -hmm. uh that chapter mm -hmm. so and in that way yeah. those women when they you know share their time for that process they kind of share their culture that they've created within their own chapters mm -hmm. on their own campus with this undefined culture and personality of the yet to be SDSU chapter. But their excitement shows through because obviously they're there because they love yeah. being part of their chapter and they want to, you know, yeah. they're, they call, used to call it colonize. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, colony and you have a... I think it's something different <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, um, as we revisit that yeah. for so many reasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, that's really cool that you were able to have those conversations so and they were among friends too and i would see them interact and sometimes we would have it as casual as there's a dessert social and we would literally show up yeah. to um a nice venue on campus and you would just show up in comfortable clothes just as you would in formal fall recruitment except for you were only there to meet this one sorority right. um and so was it just one event or no a it couple? was it was several and then you would get invited back Okay. Very similar. But How many events was it total? I think three. Okay, so and it was similar to formal recruitment. Yeah, I think they tried to structure it in a very familiar way too. And a lot of women, most women that were considering membership of my sorority uh -huh. had been through the formal fall recruitment they just, knew the gist. just a couple weeks before. Right. right. And How many women were going through it with you? Like how uh, an estimated number how many women were going to these events there were a lot but at the same time it wasn't they tried to create a lot of um, opportunity so i think you needed to attend at least three events but there were more events than that because oh okay it didn't have the time commitment that formal fall recruitment was yeah. where they gave you the dates almost like when you committed to the college they right. had the dates for formal fall recruitment you could block off your calendar these for were this, like a couple hours. Yeah. Perhaps. And these, they would offer multiple events because, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you have a class then. Maybe you have, you know, right. an internship interview so then or whatever. an estimate of how many women were at each event, what was, what would it you It would estimate? range anywhere from like 70 okay. to maybe 120 plus, but they would, some events happened over several hours. So you'd see this flow slowly come in. You're only looking at 30, 40 people at a time. Yeah. And obviously a big campus. So they had a big student body to, you know, reach out to. So it yeah. makes sense that they would have a lot more traffic through those events than you maybe be used to at your campus. Yeah. And in addition, one of the biggest things that set that process apart was our incoming class. So for a chapter of, let's say 200 women, mm -hmm. they'd have, if you divide that evenly by four years, you have a new member of class anywhere around 50 people. Right. Usually it'd be above because of retention. So you want to go with, you know, 70 or 80 girls 
in case right. your retention's not good. And by the end of that year, you have 50, 60 women. Um, so we were used to new member classes. We just watched the whole formal fall recruitment. They had selected, you know, maybe 70, 70 girls. We were selecting a whole chapter. So okay. that means like 220 women got bids to membership for my sorority in one go. So did you feel less pressure then in these parties to stand out because you pretty much knew like there's probably going to be a spot for me? I guess so. Okay. So it was less, less pressure. Yeah. Okay. At the same time, I always had on the table and was thoroughly communicated with by Rogamas and other coordinators that you could always go through the formal fall recruitment in your sophomore year. Yeah. And there was a, a later process. Um, COB. Thank you. Continuous open bidding. And so that was on my mind too. I, I, like I said, I had some heartbreak. You've got options. I had some heartbreak during formal fall recruitment. So yeah. I still had attachment to some chapters and okay. heard that they were doing continuous open bidding. So there were a few things on my mind. And when you, know, you knew the numbers were just a bigger intake for this sorority chapter, if you let that elitist mindset get to you, you're like, oh, well, it's just an open door, isn't mm -hmm. it? Anyone can get in. And it wasn't luckily weighed that heavily on my mind. Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to really consider, yes, I really like uh, my the chapter I ended up joining and I wanted to be aware of the culture set by these other campuses. Right. Like, right. But more importantly than anything else, I wanted to look at the girl interviewing next to me. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, because like you're literally joining a chapter blind. Yep. This is a brand new chapter. There is no real identity yet. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have these the, big pillars. Right. But when it comes to the nitty gritty and those. But every campus is different. Yeah. And those great, I, you know, traditions and. And the personality of a group, a group personality is such an interesting it is. thing because it it's is. automatically multidimensional. It's automatically almost hard to describe. And that was completely unformed. Right. And so, so I really wanted to pay attention to yeah. the women interviewing next to me. And of course, that's when it was final on my bid day. Right. Was usually bid day is community wide. It's across right. of all of um all of the sororities the council it's council-wide mm -hmm. i should say so let's say at scsu we had eight to nine chapters all eight to nine chapters are in the same place receiving new members with their envelope with an mm -hmm. invitation to membership running towards them all at once and so it is yeah like i said council-wide and you know what was yours like ours was you know a full month after at this point a full month month because our recruitment process started wow. after um, right so you needed time to go through that process. Um, and our bid day included 220 new right, members. Right, that's insane. And no active members. Right. Versus the what we saw as the status quo, which was, let's say, 150 right. active members and 50 new members. So you get to see this little group run towards this big group and mm -hmm. be completely enveloped and welcomed. And I'm glad... I kind of had my, uh, a very different experience. And if anything, I'd go back and reset my expectations for bid day because yeah, my bid day was very different. It was, okay, how many people can I meet? It was still recruitment so were <laughs> in that you regard. Kind like, so I'm curious 
what was the what was the deciding factor for you of okay you know what i'm gonna make my home here Mm -hmm. um was it just kind of like a hope and a prayer because (laughs) you know hopefully these women work together and form a cohesive group and we're happy together and we can find sisterhood here yeah but like i mean in those couple events you only really get surface level conversations Mm -hmm. you know i guess i'm curious what was what was the deciding factor for you to say yes i want to do this maybe it's my entrepreneurial spirit okay say but you know having gone through the process the formal fall process and like i said i looked under every stone Mm -hmm. i no stone was unturned thank you I probably am chopping up that saying as I do <laughs> okay. with many sayings. Um, I felt like I fully investigated uh-huh. the current offerings among the Panhellenic chapters. Okay. And even the ones I had like heartbreak over, so to speak, clearly something went off in my interactions with them that I didn't get, you know, a bid to membership. And so clearly there just wasn't a chapter at SCSU for me at that time. And I wanted Greek life. (laughs) I wanted it for years at that point. Um, So looks like we're gonna make our own. Okay. That's kind of where it was. Um, Looks like we're we're gonna make the chapter we want. And there was so much that was right about my chapter. with you know being nationally represented versus a local sorority i guess you could say um it had a great network it had great pillars i loved everything it rested on i love what most sororities rest on they choose really good timeless (laughs) effective um ideals values to base on during such a uh, poignant part of young adulthood and so and lastly, like I said, I would look at the girl in interviewing next to me and on bid day, that was very eye-opening you know, to see 220 people all in the same place that were now part of your chapter. You're now going to work alongside next to you to create a culture. And I think that's something I was very happy to be a part of is creating and curating a culture and organizational identity in a realm where at some points I was um maybe disappointed in the responsibility of an individual member in the greek organization on campus the weight that they carried as even an individual a member of a 200 person organization the weight that rested on their shoulders to define culture to define organizational personality for the chapter they represented Mm -hmm. it's a responsibility it's a privilege and you know to reject toxicity to embrace uh a wellness a group wellness is important and i was very happy to add something new yeah to SCSU at that point and i could there were mostly freshmen as a part of my 220 new member wow. class some sophomores in there a fair amount of sophomores and a sprinkle of juniors and that no was seniors it. no seniors no seniors oh <laughs> there Wait. might have been like 
maybe like two or three and i'm okay. so sorry if somehow you forgot your podcast blows up and it gets to them and they hear this <laughs> and they're mad at me um i'm so sorry uh, <laughs> but again they were there for a hot minute and i was very also inspired by the sophomores and juniors that had been on campus longer mm -hmm. that also wanted to be a part of this new organization because they had been witness to the greek organization for that much longer you know i had been there for maybe four weeks at oh, this point yeah, over a year that they were there and they were there for a year or two um and they were saying yeah our campus needs something new hmm. and i also loved how diverse my new member class was yeah of course you can always say oh in this photo yes everybody looked different and we dressed different but there was also a great variety of, of majors offered. You could mm. say in the Greek organizations, sometimes the really intense majors are underrepresented because- They are, like nursing, like nur no nursing majors, I'm pretty sure, oh. were in my chapter. Oh, was that wow. different for you? We had a ton of nursing Really? Majors. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, the nursing and, program at my school was like very intense. Oh, yeah, and SCSU as well. Um, and what was a really important thing, again, with starting a new organization is kind of that almost reset you know, this is what other chapters are doing, but we don't have to do that. Yeah. And, you know, we can identify really intense majors and understand it and give more leeway to the engineer, the civil engineers and the and the nursing majors when it comes to the attendance at certain events and things like that. Um, we can understand that the comm major is probably going to be able to sign up for more committees. The theater major probably won't make it to as many evening events because they have rehearsal. Right. <laughs> right and stuff like that <laughs> yeah and just having with diversity of membership comes greater accessibility and well, also greater exposure too yes for in those the groups. individual members mm -hmm. yeah okay so tell me about your experiences during your collegiate years i was a busy bee i think college is when no i kind of knew that before um, I was, so after going all these great campus tours and mom hooking me up with, you know, even Greek house tours as well, yeah. I, I loved that process. I loved the college dating process, you could say, where yeah. you get to, um, expose, like just adventure into that whole realm. And within like an hour of stepping onto SDSU's campus and getting a campus tour, the person leading my campus tour and the group of people that were in charge of that, I think I remember saying to mom, oh, okay, if I come here, I want to do that. Oh, you so wanted to of, be an ambassador. Yeah. So what SCSU, they're called the SCSU ambassadors. And oh yeah, here we go. They are the official tour guides, orientation leaders, and student representatives of San Diego State University. Um, She's got the spiel ready to go. Ready to go. I have a whole campus tour in the back <laughs> of my head if, if you let me, so don't. Um, <laughs> that's a bonus episode. <laughs> bonus. <laughs> so you were an ambassador. So that at was one SCSU. of the that so was that one was of the things. One of the first involvements I knew I wanted to do before I even applied slash even got my admittance. Right. So that was a huge win for me because it was something I applied to late in my freshman year and I didn't get to participate until I was a sophomore. Mm -hmm. Um so that was a huge defining uh, involvement of my college career. I also took part-time work, um, also starting in my late freshman year at the ASIC Recreation Center, or ARC for short, which was our campus gym. So I put in about 10 to 15 hours a week doing that. 
um, for some side money. Very appreciated. And um, I also joined the Greek Life Activities Board. It's not a board that maybe every campus has, but basically we were set up to take a small per capita fee from every Greek organization cross council. So IFC, Panhellenic, and our two cultural uh, councils that were on campus. We had four councils in total. We represented all of them. And with those very small minimal dues that we collected, we organized an annual Greek awards celebration, as well as an annual Greek week, which was a week long council wide or like cross council celebration and uh, week focused on uh, shared philanthropy that mm -hmm. changed each year. So big leadership positions in that as well uh, for two years. And then I lastly in my senior year was president of Rho Lambda, may not be on every college campus, but was a leadership honor society for sorority women. Uh, it was mostly Panhellenic women, but there were women from our cultural sororities that were represented there as well. Um, I was a member for one year and then uh, from the woman who started it on our campus. So it was probably only two or three years old by the time I became president. So I kind of, I, she trusted me with her baby <laughs> and I was president of that organization as well. So tell me about your involvement in your sorority during college. Um, I'd say my involvement peaked freshman year in my sorority. Okay. And I don't mean to say that I became a deadbeat after. <laughs> um, it just meant that I showed leadership capabilities very early on. And, and it was just a downhill from there? What? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> no, very early on and in this massive group of 220 women, they were like, great yeah please so they slated me and i was slated to be um alum engagement officer and the people slating it were our national representatives so from my sorority's headquarters leadership consultants right. is what we called them how did you go about getting elected oh sure um there was basically an application similar oh. to a job application where you would say relevant leadership experience you would write a short blurb um, they kept things pretty short because there was a lot to read. And then you would mark off positions you were interested in. Mm. And I think they capped it at a certain amount, mm. um, but ones that you were excited about and would very thoroughly consider. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I definitely elected for as many as I could. And I was slated as alum engagement director, which was the title at the time. I think it's slightly different. It might be relations and that was a choice made for me so, and i think it was based off of the fact that i you know was very good with interacting with people of any generation at any time i think i came across well and i came across more mature than my years and those qualities were identified and put to use in that position and you took that role on your first year of being in the sorority? Great question. So for my sorority, our leadership positions lasted for a calendar year. So January right. through December, and doesn't really match up so perfectly with the school year. So I was, yes, a freshman coming into that position oh. in January of my freshman year. So I okay. joined in October and in January at a position. Wow. Oh my God. So you jumped in head first. Oh yeah. Jeez. Okay. And I was happy to because <laughs> so there was much. so much work to be done. Yeah. It felt. Yeah. 
Um, and that first year we didn't have our house. We got our house by my sophomore year. Um, but I held that position from January spring semester, freshman year to fall semester, sophomore year. Um, okay. And by the time I had finished with that position, I was already an SCSU ambassador. Mm -hmm. So I applied, got accepted and I was being trained and thoroughly into training at that point. Um, and I had accepted an open position on the Greek life activities board. Okay. Um, for a time. And so by the time it came for my sorority to reconsider cabinet positions, I was a semester into my sophomore year. I had committed to these two other things. I was working part-time at the ARC. So I had a lot of things going for me. Yeah. And I was happy to keep giving to my chapter. And so I thoroughly applied the next time being like, I was alum, engagement director in the past, what's next? So basically you had to be on call this whole night <laughs> in case you got a call. Yeah. And I got a call and I picked it up and I was like, oh, what am I being considered for? Right. Different than what I considered. And it was actually kind of heartbreaking news at the time. And it was, we haven't slated you for anything. And I was also so confused. My little brain was like, um, what? <laughs> I couldn't comprehend. I was like, I am a, I show leadership qualities. Um, what was the reason they gave that? you? The leadership opportunities offered in this organization are a place among sisters where you can develop as a leader among sisters, among friendly faces and, and forgiveness. And okay. And we want to give this opportunity to a, to a sister of yours who doesn't have all the opportunities outside of the organization like you do. Interesting. We see you doing ambassadors, being a tour guide to strangers, hordes of strangers on any given day, ready to tour them around campus, ask answer at, or get the answer to any question someone will ask you, you know, working at the ARC and interacting with the entire campus and then also signing up to do Greek Life Activities Board in a position on a whim, you're fine. And when sometimes when hard news is delivered so eloquently to you and transparently and with such respect, you're like, wow, I really see this point of view. And it was a really well thought out decision. Hmm. And I stand by the decision made for me. At okay. the time, I was in complete opposition. Yeah. I wanted to be so involved. Yeah. And I learned so much in the years following. It's, it's funny That's how great. some things will happen. And then you understand why they happened and are so grateful. Yeah. And every day after. So tell me a bit about your experiences living in the sorority house. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be a part of a chapter and a Greek community that had houses involved. Um, I was able to live in my sophomore and my junior year. Um, so it was really fun coming back um, my junior year fully knowing. Um, I was also lucky enough to have those times overlap with renovations to the home so um our quality of living got better <laughs> yeah um from the house that we previewed my freshman year to the house i got to live in my sophomore year and then even more renovations my junior year it had been somewhat neglected it was like rented out um during the five years my chapter wasn't on campus so it needed help 
And luckily enough, it was part of um, my national or like the national entity of my sorority had purchased the home. Um, some homes are owned locally by just the local chapter, sometimes managed by local alumni members. Mm -hmm. um, and when my chapter was dissolved at SCSU, um, luckily our national was able to intervene and purchase the property and maintain it. They rented it out for income in the meantime and were able to update it for us when we got back. So that was just, that was so much behind the scenes <laughs> mm -hmm. that I slowly learned by maybe junior, senior year. And I'm so appreciative because it, it allowed us to have the home still, the same home that was built for us in 1961 mm -hmm. for our chapter, specifically to be a sorority house, very uncommon in California. So many of the California sorority houses were converted apartment buildings or simply private homes. My sorority was a converted duplex. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Converted duplex. So, yeah. Um, I will say a, a sorority house built to be a sorority house is, mm -hmm. is designed differently layout wise and capacity wise than an apartment building with a bunch of private units or yeah. a private family home. So totally love that. I'm a big fan of real estate and development and just how we inhabit our spaces and absolutely loved being in walls that had seen so many years of sisterhood covered in composite photos. Mm -hmm. um, we could find so many scrapbooks in the basement with photos yeah. of the same hallways we were walking up and down. And that there's something cool. just so magical about that, feeling a part of a bigger- Something narrative. bigger than yourself. A yeah. bigger history too. Yeah. Um, that your blurp of these super fast four years is intertwined with the much longer running history of a chapter. And even one that was dissolved like mine where you could criticized was a discontinuous history. Mm. Being a, a live-in, of course, you, for the more minor note of, it was easier to attend chapter meetings. Yes. And going to so events was so easy. That was one of the big selling points of Huge. being a live-in is you could fall down the stairs and, and, and be, be at the <laughs> event. And be at an That's event. That's why I did it. <laughs> and as someone yeah. that was hyper-involved, like I was, yeah part-time work and school was where a lot of people stopped and I was like oh how about three more organizations so it was the reason why I could do what I did was because yeah. I lived in I could easily attend sorority events and living in uh, also allowed me to be an eight minute walk from the campus gym yeah uh, where it was my part-time employment but it also helped a lot of girls stay active um, versus you know being in a in a house that was several blocks away they needed to drive to attend classes whatever it was what years did you live in the house so that would have been 2017 to 2018 and then 2018 to 2019 and i was really lucky too we had just the best personality of a house mom i we were oh. technically that's not her formal position and i'm glad it wasn't <laughs> she was hired as a facility director Sounds better on an yes. application. And there was a lot more that she was honestly directing. She was a proper property manager. She oversaw all maintenance and repairs. She also oversaw all of our renovations that I spoke to earlier. She would oversee security. So we did have a security system. We had fobs that let us in. Um, a lot of security concerns in a semi-urban, suburban campus with 
a ton of people in and out on a, we were on Montezuma Road um, with an alleyway behind us that was notorious for <laughs> having concerning activities going mm. on. So um, I'm so grateful to her too, because she made the rules very well known. And a lot of them, you know, every single one was to serve us and our chapter. And most importantly, she put the live-ins first because it was our home. Yeah. And so we did have the notorious no boys upstairs rule. Yeah. Same, and, same with our chapter. And we say it upstairs because for us, all living quarters were on the second or third right. floor. And the first floor was the only common spaces, so to speak, where you can, of course, host people of any gender, of any age. Um, it was purely for the comfort of all the live-ins yeah. who had, we had did one you have, shared bathroom. Did you have friends that you could bring over that were not part of the sorority? Could you bring them over if they were girls? Yes. Okay. Did um, you do that often ever? Just curious. Most of the time we just hosted in the common spaces okay. as a live-in. I can speak to that. There were some people that just had, you know, their best friend from freshman year, their best friend. Roommate, they would bring them up and they would bring them. Yeah. It was just tighter quarters. I yeah. personally only we had many doubles or double rooms of two person occupancy. The way our house was designed, there were mm. also very large rooms. I was only ever in the very large rooms. So I was my first year in a five person room and then in my second year, a four person room. So that meant Thanks. I had a twin bed within two feet of the next twin bed in a row but to be fair you also deconstructed these bunk beds to become twin beds so i mean yeah. you know that does you know take up a lot more space well yeah that was that was in the five person room we did deconstruct that because no one wanted to climb on the ladders and you oh, know you got to figure that out why. you got to okay. figure that out we had some tall people that were like i, was I hate hoisting myself up every yeah night. like wait why would you stop doing that yeah, and, and this like, way everyone could collapse for like a five minute nap yeah, in between true. in between classes and then pop right back up. Yeah. So it just So I lived in the same house or I, I lived in the same room in the sorority house for the three years that I was a house girl and house girl. Never... That's what they called it. Okay, no one, no one in my chapter ever called it. We just said the live ins. Oh, okay. Well we called it live ins. We called it house girls. House girl. Okay. I'm a house listen, girl. Listen. There is house girls and town girls. Town girls. Town girls. You're okay. kidding me. I'm, I sound like I'm oh from another God. generation. <laughs> you do. You do. Well, like, I am she's technically a, she's a millennial. She's a city gal. And technically she came you're out Gen Z. The... Aren't you? I'm, Aren't you technically I'm on the Gen cusp. Z? 98 people, I see you. We we what? occupy both realms and, and sometimes it's rough out here. Is it? Okay. <laughs> but... I mean, okay, so back to the house that I, or the room that I lived in for three years. Um, the first two years, it was such a small room that for whatever reason, we decided to cram three beds in there. Um, a double, or it was a bunk bed and then a single bed. And thank God I was able to make the argument that it was a fire hazard because the, the bed that was the... the the bed that was the bunk bed was blocking the sliding glass door that was a fire exit. And so I'm like, listen, if this thing's going down, I need a way to get out. That's not in, you know, it's a clear way out. Yeah, a clear way out. And if this isn't in, in the way. So I always got to make the fire. Hazard my last argument, year when in doubt. of living in the house, 
I got my my double room and it was a good last year because my roommate <laughs> was an amazing sister who uh, Nicole Nicole who um was also a theater major she was more on the techie side but um yeah it was a great last year it well was some awesome. of us were raised in fire and didn't see outside of a twin size bed until they were oh my god 21 <laughs> I was in a twin size bed went visiting home and then in my dorm room and at the sorority house until my senior year oh senior year i had to buy a mattress because i was like oh my gosh unfurnished home i'm about to rent and i got to get a full size mattress and i was oh. 21 celebrating my 21st birthday being like i have a full size mattress i forgot that that was when you got the other house okay so thank you for telling me um about your live-in years. So tell me about your favorite collegiate memories. Mine were perhaps, again, non-traditional because we were a founding class, my initiation class or new member yeah. class, you could say. So it was kind of the conglomerate of every moment we felt like, oh my God, we did it. We, we made a chapter. Yeah. Or anytime we were like, wow, look at our chapter. Look at oh us. Oh my gosh, look at us. Who thought we'd be here? Not me. Not me. Not me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so like there was one, I don't know, I think several years, we were, you know, highest GPA among all the Panhellenic chapters. And we were like, what? Us? Fantastic. That's awesome. And we had great representation of, of other majors and other thresholds like that. But Definitely my favorite memories, like consistently surrounded bid day and then every moment thereafter where we got to meet this new member class. I was never the new member director, which was a position in our organization, but my big sister, my sorority was. And I always appreciated uh, kind of being close to her so I could be close to that process. Um, I would also, you know, being an ambassador on campus, obviously loved that introductory phase of getting to learn about a college a campus so everything from their first tour to orientation day and basically it was that experience but for our chapter and having been such a part of creating our chapter and setting a tone setting traditions creating traditions in some cases um i was so and reviving some as alum director i or engagement director, I learned so much about the traditions we used to have and, and ones that we should really revive. Um, getting to be a part of creating our chapter, I loved watching this whole new class of women, usually around 50 to 70 women, lean into it. Yeah. And also just getting to know who did we <laughs> who did we accept? You know, you learn people on a surface level and in all the months following, I got to learn, you know, I'll just use fake names and to exemplify this, but, you know, oh my gosh, Sarah, you know, Sarah, like this new member. Yeah. She's like totally into graphic design and she wants to do our philanthropy logo and we're going to have like six shirts this year, <laughs> but, you know, whatever it is, their strengths and their passions and their personality just come out and you get to expand your organization and expand 
the identity that again yeah. you've been trying to curate for like a year or two years or three years at this point so I would say every bid day got a little sweeter because yeah I was so proud and impressed by the women that would join our organization bid day best day it is it <laughs> really is it was high energy and I don't mean to say like oh the high energy day the hype day is is the is the peak of the sorority experience because maybe your bid day like mine uh was non-traditional or right. odd or just different right. and so i did like engaging in all the bid days that were more traditional thereafter probably because of that yeah but more than that it's because we got to meet um the future of our organization and yeah. and we got to see what women do we attract in the conversations that we that we host and that we entertain during entertainment during that we entertain during recruitment so tell me about some other collegiate memories that you have that stand out to you as being really special by far one of my some of my favorite memories surround my involvement in the larger multi-council organization which was called greek life activities board um i think by the end i was vp of external affairs and we had a vp of internal affairs and yeah. a bunch of others but i was basically in charge of engaging a community of thousands of, of my peers that were all Greek yeah. in this shared celebration called Greek Week. And I had known it had been great on campus in years prior and that it had fallen out of favor, mm. usually because of poor management and it just wasn't a good event anymore. Mm. And then people were like, eh, you can take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. um, so I was so happy to revive it and re-empower it and some of my favorite memories were previously we have Greek week delegates. So these are a member from every single chapter on campus who gets to learn about Greek week and then go home to their chapter and explain it all. Mm -hmm. They're their, you know, local touch point for it. Love the delegates. I was in charge of the delegates and making sure they were knowledgeable on the whole process mm -hmm. and we'd have delegate meetings. The status quo at that point was having delegate meetings on campus usually in a in a classroom that we just rented out for the time and you know it was pretty sterile environment you're in like literal desk seats that you were probably in several times the earlier in the day they're always at night when people can try to get there between dinner and maybe a night class and i basically charged forward with the idea that we have facilities of our own and that was and that's rare it's for any campus organization the business fraternities they don't have houses the engineering society doesn't have houses this philanthropy philanthropic organization they don't have a facility of their own and it was always such a trek to get onto campus for a lot of people it was also a barrier to entry for people who had to drive back to campus park and all this so i reached out and was like can we have the meetings at chapter houses and i would line up different chapters to host each time and it was so great and it was so great for unexpected reasons i was just hoping it would be easier for people to get to the meetings and that um and that it would be better ownership of these delegate meetings mm -hmm. if they were you know in our place of if they were in our facilities yeah and you know bringing greek week home quite literally right. to some organizations and so that those were like kind of what got me into it 
And what ended up being such a sweet moment in that was one huge responsibility of the Greek Life Activities Board was kind of collaborating cross council. So at SCSU, we had four different councils and two of those were cultural councils. So NSF, NSMPHC and the USFC, and that sounds for National Panhellenic Council and the United Sorority and Fraternity Council. Both of those incorporated, I know so many words. Lots of acronyms yes but the nphc and usfc represented fraternities and sororities that were culturally based so in addition to having values um, aligned it was also a, a, a cultural and community-based uh, identity of all of those students um, passing through these large institutions and needing and wanting a home to develop their identity among peers right great stuff um, most of those councils did not have any facilities they didn't they were maybe started yeah. in 1996 right or whatever it was they didn't maybe have the huge national uh support that a lot of the panhellenic and the ifc chapters had um there was actually one chapter that had a house that was part of those organizations but they were the exception to the rule mm. they were our neighbors <laughs> oh and um and it was such a great experience to be the one who concocted this idea to bring these delegate meetings off of campus and host them in a different fraternity or sorority house every um every week because they were weekly meetings and boy could you tell when you were being hosted in a sorority house versus a fraternity house i'd be lying if i say we weren't in a fraternity house one time and watched a rat run <gasps> run across oh no between me and like the delegates Ew. and we all just were like in silence like did we all see that okay oh uh God. move on and then and then that's horrifying yeah no no i mean some of the not. some of the boys of the house just took ownership they're like oh yeah we have a name for him it's like oh <laughs> that's, we named him ratatouille <laughs> that's good that's good meanwhile oh god meanwhile at the sorority houses they're like do you have audio visual do you need <laughs> do you need a hookup um do you have an hdmi cord because we have one we we're gonna have our one of our members just on the side if you need anything ready to go yeah wow thank you so welcome so well hosted um <laughs> but it was so i learned to love how included it felt to literally open your doors to just have another chapter open their doors to someone because a lot of these people and myself included i hadn't been in another sorority's house except for formal fall recruitment right same. and my only memories in their house would be attached to formal fall recruitment mm -hmm. and how great to have a reason to you know fully enter and be accepted into this other chapter as a part of the community not necessarily like a part of their organization of course right. but still open arms that's something i kind of regret about my greek experience is not going to more panhellenic events that were held at different sorority houses i went to a handful but not enough and honestly if i could go back and do it again i would go to more mm -hmm. other more of the other sororities events mm -hmm. because i feel like you know what hindsight i feel like i kind of missed out mm -hmm. by not going but, and I mean, on, on our chap on our campus, it was standard practice for a lot of sororities and fraternities to host a philanthropy event, yeah, um, on within their facility, so at their house. And so 
that was a lot of exposure then and people could always but you know with a philanthropy event there's of course a ticket to enter mm -hmm. or to participate like five bucks ten yeah, bucks no it was always very usually. low but nonetheless nonetheless uh if you d maybe don't know anyone in that chapter or have any reason to be there you probably wouldn't go to their philanthropy right. event yeah that wasn't very common so this was a perfect reason for literally i had a whole host of delegates one from every single chapter on campus yeah and i had a required meeting where they needed to get their butts seated in a chair in this facility this house that they'd never been in and the biggest impression i got in the very rewarding part was how happy so many members of nphc and usfc again those culturally based organizations were to be accepted into these homes mm. and also how educational it was they were like oh so this is what it looks like in here interesting and like and, you know some would ask for like tours or you know would have a friend from class and they'd recognize they'd be like oh like oh you live here yeah, yeah. and they're like oh i have psych with her or yeah. whoever it was and i remember some girl like being taken upstairs because she just wanted to see the rooms yeah she was just it's like a curiosity so... thing and you because know? even people within our own community because they weren't part of the more traditional panhellenic organizations but mm. they were still in sororities or or vice versa not ifc but were in fraternities um they still had even within the greek community had those impressions yeah of ifc and panhell that largely came from social media right or, or uh, movies tv or a movie or a tv and so this was like i've learned time and time again that the number one way to knock down stereotypes or knock down preconceived notions is open arms and ex and and uh transparency mm. and this was such an opportunity i was like why on earth would we ever host a delegate meeting in a classroom on campus ever again when you have the chance to parade around people from every single organization on campus into the homes into the facilities um where they might have you know still birthday balloons from their president's birthday or they have parents visiting their daughter who lives in the house and they're gonna walk by while you're in there it you turns know? them it turns them into real people yes it makes it real it's like oh okay these are a people that i can approach and befriend and yeah it makes it more accessible like you said and funny enough i learned this from a luxury marketing management class so it seems irrelevant but i promise it is there is something very psychological about closed doors yeah it's the reason why you walk up to a tiffany and tiffany's has its doors closed there's usually a security in front right. and you would think about that oh that's loss prevention right but it's not it's more than that you need the door open for you and every single properly defined you could say luxury company their storefronts will have closed doors hmm. and i mean in the case of greek life when you're you know running along a whole avenue full of homes with closed doors for security reasons yeah it has that psychological message of you know oh yeah. some people walk in and oh but they they know someone someone lets them in or right. they're calling someone on their phone or texting someone as they walk up and 
you might get a slight of what it looks like as the door closes. Mm -hmm. um, there's something different there. Right. So, or, and then again, philanthropy events where, okay, $5 at the door. Yeah. So I, again, all for good reason that you're charging like a ticket to entry and it's cheaper to host an event in your facility than to rent one out. Um, but that's why I was so proud of the delegate meetings and each one made me so happy. And I was so proud that I had been able to add something to our community, which is something I wanted to do when joining my own organization is I wanted to add a new vibe yeah. <laughs> to what we had existing. And then to be able to do that outside of my organization too, I was like, whoa, this is great. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. And even if I made impressions only on my peers and, you know, if I check back in on it now, oh, delegate meetings are back in classrooms. Great. Okay. Whatever. You can't hope for legacy to go on like that. But People I are made, come in and make new decisions. Yeah. I made an yeah. impression on my peers and that's all I can ask for. And I was so happy watching it on their faces, hearing feedback after. I went a step further to require. So in Greek week, they're separated into teams. Right. And on these teams, all four councils would be represented. Right. So we'd have, you know, let's say we have 40 different organizations, 40 different fraternities and sororities on campus. They'd be neatly organized into four or five different Greek week teams. Yeah. And then let's say seven or eight fraternities and sororities per team. Yeah. So that's seven or eight delegates. Right. Per team. And I quite literally gave Greek week points. I kind of made the point system myself, so. I was entitled to give away points and I gave away points for delegates that could send me a selfie of all seven or eight of them hanging out outside hmm. of our delegate meetings in a non-organ pre-organized social event. Right. So I, to my phone, got sent photos of like a Smash Bros session mm -hmm. from, you know, fill in the blank fraternity house between yeah. where other people were invited after a delegate meeting one night. I got sent pictures from like wings and things. <laughs> we were like, we got dinner uh, after the delegate meeting. Points. Yeah. But <laughs> the thing is like, you know, people wanted that connection. And I was quite literally like assigning it like homework or, mm -hmm. you know, extra credit, if anything else. Um, and they knew where I was coming from. I was like, you have all year long to meet your sisters and brothers next to you. You have kind of all year long to go to other events within your council. Yeah. Or take leadership inside of Panhell or go to another Panhell philanthropy. When, when are you going to interact with someone outside of your council? Not often. For a random reason. Between IFC and Panhell, it happens a lot more organically. Mm hmm They have houses next to each other. I remember we right. invited the fraternity that was next to us for a scary movie one time of live-ins to live-ins. Mm -hmm. And so that would happen very organically. But yeah, that just made it feel like, oh, anywhere who, anyone who wears letters on campus, we're part of something. Mm -hmm. And it really is when you think about the definition of being part of a Greek organization, if you don't have a house, that doesn't mean you're any less Greek. <laughs> if, yeah. if yours was founded in 1993 versus 1897, that right. doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, and so it was really nice boiling it down to like, what does this mean? It means we wanted to be a part of something bigger. We wanted to contribute to something outside of ourselves. And 
define what we wanted in adulthood now and strive for it. And that's great. Yeah, that's what I learned to really appreciate. So one of my, yeah, some of my sweetest memories are empowered because of, of being a part of my sorority because I couldn't have been on <laughs> the Greek Life Activities Board without being an active member of my right. sorority. Um, and how much pride my chapter had in me for uh -huh. being a part of it. Yeah. Every time something Greek would, would come up in our chapter meeting, I was, I had no title. Okay. Right. I was always in the sea of people because in a 200 plus person chapter, it's a sea of people at a chapter meeting. And, uh, you know, something would come up and they'd be like, oh, actually, uh, do you know what the date for that is, Becca? And I'd be like, oh, oh, yeah, we're looking at, <laughs> that'll be October, tell you exactly October 15th for that one. And they'll be like, thanks, you know? And um, yeah, and I could just feel nice. how proud and how also inspired some of the younger members were. Yeah. I was approached be every time someone would apply to be an SDSU ambassador. They'd be like, oh, oh hey, I they just knew. like submitted a thing. And not because we did rec letters. They weren't doing it in kind of the self-serving fashion. They were kind of doing it also to be, how was your experience? How did right. you ba balance things? Is this, I kind of want to do it because I want to get into education or I want to get into, is that a good route? Um, yeah. How, what does our commitment look like? Things like that. Um, also, it would be like, how do you like Greek Life Activities Board? Do you know, like, if there's open positions later? Yeah. Or... Uh, I was thinking of events manager. Is it like the events manager and our organization? I'd be like, no. Mm. <laughs> you know, I had that insight. And I think what was really nice is that I felt appreciated in my chapter for my involvement, every single involvement I had outside of. And my value in the chapter was not tied to my title in the chapter. Yeah. So tell me a bit about your alumni experience. When did mm. you graduate? And tell me what that's been like since graduation great question um i can identify about four different endpoints to my college experience and i want to recognize that i finished college in COVID era and i'm sure COVID era students will be able to identify with this where things happen kind of messily or non-traditionally or half and then the other half later um but there was summer 2020 when I moved away from campus, was still a full-time student. So I took fall and spring after that, fully virtually from home in Los Angeles. And in spring 2021, I had had four years of involvement in my organizations. It felt like the right time to step away. They were starting to reinstitute in-person things and I was at home in Los Angeles. So that wasn't very um, compatible. So that's when I, spring 2021 is when I stepped away from all of my extracurricular involvements. So that felt like an end to my proper college experience in its full form. Yeah. And then I still had a semester of classes that I did in the fall semester after where I was commuting once a week to San Diego State from Los Angeles to finish up those classes. So that felt like a funny re-invitation back onto campus, but I, my extracurriculars at that point, we were working 25 to 30 hours a week up in Los Angeles. So it kind of felt like the half there senior who's interning. Yeah. Um, and really more career focused at that point um, than student life focused. And then I got the awesome 
somewhat unnecessary for my degree at that point, but wanted to take it. Uh, opportunity for a semester abroad in Italy. And so I did that. Um, I felt super necessary as an international business major to do that. Yeah. Um, so I did. And so I took my last class in May 2021. Okay. After the formal ceremony happened at San Diego State. So I did not walk and get that formal nice certificate until May 2022. So I started backing away from college life all the way in summer 2020. Yeah. And technically didn't formally finish the process till May 2023. So that's a long time. That's a long time. I would say all my involvements ending spring, spring 2021 and then all of my classes ending also spring 2022 would be my the end points that I define or identify with more. And kind of in that slow, partial end each time, I was retiring parts of my college identity and leaning more into pieces after. And in the time since, and focusing on what's next, I haven't leaned into, it almost feels like looking back. Because... I was alum engagement when I was in my chapter. So I was yeah. always very well aware that there were it's alum. It's not just four years, it's for life. <laughs> yes, I was always very well aware that there were alumni chapters involved. And I have always thrown around the idea of being a chapter advisor. I think I would be very helpful to a chapter. And I have some peers from my initiation class that have become chapter advisors Okay. Um, to USC, up here in LA. Those yeah. are our options. Um, where we live in LA, there aren't any like universities local. in our back door, like in our backyard, I should are say. Are there local alumni chapters you can get involved with? Yes, I believe there is one near us. And I haven't pursued them just because I am so fully booked figuring out my career, my relationship, my living situation. And I don't have probably Full any time. more to give. Um, well, it's good that you recognize that because yeah. you were so heavily involved in college. So now it's like, maybe we, we almost, take a step back a little bit. It's almost like we learned how to say no. Yes. That's crazy. Yes. That's and very good it's very to important learn. so that, I mean, I know you... I don't mean to say, oh, you're involved, so you never learned to say no. I mean to say like you. Trust me, I learned how to say, I knew yeah. how to say no. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and, I, and I really appreciate all the more that you are involved knowing that you've got limited capacity. We've all mm -hmm. got that limited time and it still makes it and you still prioritize it. And you say no to other things because of it. Yeah. And all the more respect because it's just, it's hard to watch the person who's involved and, you know, is stretching themselves too thin. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot, a lot of times those people carry resentment with their involvement because of how the cost, yeah. because of what it costs them. Yeah. So here's to saying no and saying yes all the more enthusiastically. Yes. And having boundaries and knowing what you're what is doable is so important and so that's great that you're able to live that so tell me about how you feel 
your sorority involvement has changed your life and what does sorority mean to you? It's funny when you pick something during such a uh, pivotal moment in your life, like college years, where there wasn't really a before and after where you can look very, very easily at, oh, well, I look like this and then I added variable A and then I came out this. So variable A created change. Um, I would say just it's formed me rather than maybe changed me. It's contributed to how I've formed myself hmm. and carved okay. out the life I have in front of me and how I will continue to pave a life for myself. It's done that through through the sisters I had and being so open to a diversity of experience and of thought. I got to meet so many women raised by different families than me from different parts of the country who wanted different things, different aspirations, different worldviews. I got to call each of them a sister mm -hmm. and have kind of this innate respect and connection with them because of this organization. It was this excuse yeah. almost to connect with someone so different than yourself. Right, right. And some people will look on that maybe from the outside and, and judge it and be like, well, you have not, nothing in common with that person. So wait, why are they your sister? <laughs> I'm like, how great of a practice to, to choose someone so different from with that, with yeah. you, with you. Yeah. To, to find someone. Yeah. Who you have no excuse to maybe approach or, or no excuse to, you know, have joined a club together based off of a common interest and have joined it based off of values and these kind of like really wide things that are up to, up to interpretation have this common ground to connect on. Yeah. And for that reason, with this common ground, you get to deeper, better conversations. Yeah. And you get to deeper, better understanding because of those. Right. And I feel like I was exposed to so many different versions of womanhood and got yeah. to explore so much through their eyes, through their stories through just exposure to them and their families and so on, what they wanted, that they helped me define the woman I want to be. And I would limit it to adulthood if it was, and it, you know, whether it's career, responsibility to parents, hmm. responsibility to yourself, what health looks like for you. Right. But it's beyond that. It's also, you know, what is it to be a sister? What is it to be a daughter? Eventually, what does it look like to be a partner to someone, a wife, a mother, maybe? Do you yeah. want those things? And what does that look for you? Because kind of the best and terrifying thing about exiting the formalities of a college institution is the goals are no longer set for you right. in stone. You set your own goals. The structure is lost. Mm -hmm. And you have to define success for yourself. You get a lot of practice in sorority. <laughs> and if you're defining success for yourself, you also need to define what it is you want. And there's so many things to want. And we're so lucky to have multiplicity of options and autonomy to choose those. And a college woman is automatically in a great place to have those options, especially in this day and age. The nice thing about sorority is there's 
probably going to be a local alumni chapter. Wow. Good plug. Good plug. I'm just saying. To wrap up that question that my sorority involvement helped me form who I am today and will continue to do that because of who I got to be introduced to. Yeah. And who I got to, whose lives I got to be witness to who without my sorority i would not have joined a mutual interest club yeah i would not have maybe chosen the same apartment to live down the hallway from and that's what i celebrate the most about looking back on it and how it's influenced me is because i feel so much better informed on the lifestyles i want and the aspirations i have while still holding so much respect for all the women that choose different lifestyles and different aspirations for me they are one and the same i can be so excited and confident about my own while still holding so much respect and gratitude for the choices of others so to round out this interview um let's go over any advice you have for women looking to get into greek life or someone who's already in a sorority or somebody who's about to graduate or somebody who is already an alum what kinds of advice would you give those people and you could be specific to the people in those various situations yeah what advice would you give them when you're going to commit to something really commit and i don't mean to say oh are you in a sorority how many positions are you holding? Yeah. And I just mean mentally. Literally, yeah. that's it. Just mentally. When you've committed to something or in, you're in it, lean in. And I have heard this before, and it was a saying, everything you put into it, you'll get back. And I don't know why. It never really sat with me like or really resonated, resonated with me. Thank you. Um, but when I think about it in a commitment sort of way, the reason why a sorority has a lot of worth to any kind of person is because it's kind of serves as this constant foundation during these really turbulent, high, highly volatile four years or yeah. five years or two years, whatever that looks like for you. Um, I found that it was a, a source of strength and stability and yeah, like this constant during all of that time, because also that stability and that foundation came from my mental commitment to it. I had already mentally committed during my initiation and a little bit beforehand that I was going to join this organization and be in it till the end, right. till graduation. And I had that largely because I had seen my, or I had heard about my parents doing that. And that being the way to fully experience being a member of a Greek organization. Yeah. And there were examples of, of I don't want to say that it was rare on my campus to see it happening, but it was a bit more common by the time I was going through college for people to say, oh, I don't have a lot of time anymore mm -hmm. i'm just gonna peace out junior year or i've got this internship and you know they would go early alum status or they would just quit 
Wow. And by the time you've got these big 200 person organizations, sororities on my campus, you look at their graduating seniors. Yeah. Got a group of like 20 girls. Wow. And I was like, that wasn't your initiation class. I know no. your new member class was a lot bigger than that. <laughs> yeah, it was the same at my, my and chapter. And while that is an example, too, of those organizations needing to be more, more adaptable to the requirements that they set. Accommodating. Said, accommodating as well yeah. to maintain membership. Maybe it's a reflection of how unaccommodating some of those organizations were. I, I want to recognize that. But more so, I could feel there's a culture among people my age where, is it serving you? No, cut it. Mm. It's not serving you? Okay. Yeah. That's definitely a Gen Z thing, <laughs> I think. Well, because I mean, even when yeah, our conversation- I wasn't asking that for, of myself when I was in college. Fair. Is this serving me? Like that just wasn't, I just thought, do I want to do this or not? But it's interesting, okay. though, that there is a difference in the kind of mentality right. of your classmates um, thinking, is it serving me? Yeah. Because that just, that question for some reason didn't really cross my mind. It's almost, it's one of those like therapy questions that yeah. has entered the larger social conversation. Which is great because it's healthy. It is. And I don't mean to belittle, oh, do you ever ask yourself that question? That's dumb. No. Please ask yourself that question. Yeah. Please ask yourself if things in your life are serving you. They should. Things that you give should give back. Right. But what was unfortunate to see was too many women and, and men, too. I, this was happening across all the organizations. Um, kind of doing that short-term thought. Yeah. Does, if it's not serving you like this semester, okay. Kind of going beyond just your own internal thoughts, asking for those accommodations or asking for, you know, Special I've got status. Yeah. And I saw a handful of people do that being like, I've got this crazy internship this year. I'm an engineer major and I really need exemption from these required events because I want to stay an active member. This is really important to me. In a long term sense, it was so satisfying. I saw it on every single senior's face to graduate as a member of their sorority. And I know a lot of people cut it short because they just thought, you know, it can't work. Yeah. And it unfortunately was a very well established example from other people that, oh, they cut it before their internship and moved on or right. um, they double majored or they're studying abroad and it's just mm -hmm. not convenient. Of course, there's like always a suspension for study abroad with dues. Right, like right. It's always possible. It's a better trodden path. But, you know, everything from, you know, family commitments or they had to move home. And especially during COVID, you saw a lot of changes of residency like myself or of different family commitments. And the people that had mentally committed were there and made it happen. Yeah. and 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 formed the path when it wasn't one that they had seen laid before them. So what other advice would you give sorority women or those looking to get into sorority life? I guess my second piece might come in the form of don't relate commitment to an organization to a title. Okay. A term I learned in my time in Rolanda, that uh, leadership recognition society, we would recognize 
we had a GPA minimum, yes, but we recognized sorority leaders on our campus for their everything from innovation in their position. Wow, you start a whole new way to do a philanthropy event to collaboration. Wow, you did a, a joint social with um, this other sorority from our cultural orgs or whatever it was, yeah. we would recognize excellence in leadership in sorority leadership, but not necessarily those holding an officer position. And on occasion, and it wasn't, I mean, the organ, the application would ask what positions have you held in your organization? So there was inherent uh, title connection to the application. But there was always a part of it too, that welcomed people who had been leaders in their organization without a title or right titleless leadership. And that was such a really great point to emphasize because I too was not, not admitted to the cabinet of my organization, but I was certainly a leader right. in my sorority. Those two things were not dependent upon each other. So you're saying you can still get involved, not necessarily having to hold an officer position. So true. And for women part who are part of majors or who have family commitments or whatever it is in addition to school and in addition to your sorority, I should say, don't believe that your commitment and your level of commitment is tied to how many positions you can hold mm -hmm. because you really can be so involved. You can be a voice a well-respected voice in your chapter. You can be heard if you, especially if you know the right people to go to. Sometimes it's not about how many times you say something. It's about who you say it to. Um, and, and knowing that if you aren't admitted to the cabinet or if you're feeling dejected or rejected, even within your organization, know that your commitment is mental. It's yeah. internal. It's not something that'll be outside of yourself. So if you're not feeling in tune or if, yeah, it's not up to someone else to choose how committed to your organization you are. It's up to you. It's up, it's up to you entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I was very committed to mine. And that most of my time in my sorority was after that call. After the call where I was yeah. not admitted to any cabinet position. Yeah. Any other pieces of advice you can offer? Stay in school, brush your teeth. Oh my gosh. Stay in school. Ooh, that's a good one. That's another one. Yes. Meet with your advisors. Make sure you're on track to graduate. Well, thank you so much for taking me through your sorority journey. Becca, if you want to kind of give us some final thoughts to wrap up this interview, yeah. go ahead. I guess one thing I've been noticing as I've transitioned from, you know, student status to just person's <laughs> being say. an alumna oh well sure that's one of my <laughs> many identities yes that too um is uh is that transition from the planning to the doing okay a lot of school is about planning preparing right for the doing and um and there's a lot of expectations set up when you plan and prepare and study yeah and I don't mean only in the career sense where maybe that was what your studies were and then you're getting into your career later, but even as you were preparing for college and looking at which organizations to join and doing all of that planning and preparing, I certainly created so many expectations mm -hmm. 
and given my very perhaps one takeaway from my experiences it was very non-traditional mm-hmm. if um so i apologize if that makes me unrelatable but no i think there's several instances where somebody might have a unique college experience and feel kind of alone in it yeah. uh so you know getting your story out there is helpful to those that and are experiencing that. i think every single one every single person going through anything with you know a status quo you will have a part of it that is not traditional yeah and just expect your expectations to not be met and to be flipped on their heads or your expectations to be redefined or just completely disregarded for something you've never thought of yeah our imagination will never serve us well enough to properly anticipate the future and so in that preparing mindset don't get too lost in that and in the and in the expectations that you miss out on the experiencing and the doing Mm. especially in whether it's sorority life and your entry into it soak up the doing part and a lot of that is commitment mental commitment leaning in and i've heard this i've heard this saying i think it started on tiktok so you're welcome um that was main character energy right (laughs) and all i can boil that down to is committing and leaning into your existence and your reality and your life in the face of all of these external inputs that show you other people's lives and other people's experiences and other expectations so main character energy it up your sorority is the most important your experience is the is the best one there was to have because it's yours and the one ahead of you is the best there is going to be have there is to have because it's the one that's waiting for you and when you approach it with that you can't lose i like that yeah yeah thank you tiktok (laughs) brought to you by tiktok no (laughs) oh god i wish Okay, well, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to this week's episode. Send me an email if you have any questions about sorority life. You can send an email to alphafemalepod at gmail.com. And be sure to rate five stars wherever you listen to this podcast. Thank you again for tuning in this week. And I'll see you next week, Alpha Females. Alpha Females.